Now, we've been talking about the incarnation, um, partly because this is the Christmas season when everyone's thinking about the incarnation, though I think it should be on our minds every day of our life. But uh, as a theme, we're just kind of picking that up. And the, the broader context of this is we're talking about the kingdom. God calls us not to be religious people who have distinctly religious beliefs and distinctly religious behaviors. He calls us to be kingdom people, people in whom the, the dome in which God is king reigns, where, where God reigns in us. Our life is to be a dome, a domain in which God reigns. That's the king dome of God. And that's the, that's the essential thing we're called to do individually and collectively. And so now we're looking at some of the aspects, features, characteristics uh, of the kingdom of God we want to be kingdom people. We want to live that abundant life uh, that looks like Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at the incarnation as an aspect of the kingdom of God. Last week we talked about perichoresis. Who can tell me what perichoresis means? Mutual indwelling. You get an A. It's the word that describes the relationship of the three persons of the Trinity. The mutual indwelling of the three persons of the Trinity uh, God's being is social, and the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are, they're completely for one another. And what we saw last week is that the incarnation is about God extending that perichoresis, that, per, that perfection of love and fellowship to us. He, he makes our story his story and makes his story our story. And what we're going to show the, this morning is we're going to build on that, and that the, the New Testament authors take it a little bit further. I want to read from the book of John. Uh, this is a text that I refer to every so often because it's so, so vital in terms of our picture of God. The picture of God that you have in your, in your brain uh, will determine everything about your relationship with God. And our picture of God is to be centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, all we know, all we need to know about God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And this text is really important to emphasize that point. So it says in John chapter 14, Philip said to Jesus, he'd been talking about the Father and whatnot, and Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. We just show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, have I been, so, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, then, show us the Father? Jesus is saying, I am the showing of the Father. And so his very being answers Philip's question, if you see me, you see the Father. Uh, let's uh, pray over this message. Can I get some people who will uh, pray throughout the message? It will just kind of be an intercessor. I need a couple more intercessors who will just pray for the message as going forward. Okay, thanks. Let's pray. Father, uh, our, our trust is not in ideas or words or eloquent speech or any of that nonsense. Uh, it's in you. And... Um, so, Lord, our prayer is that you will use whatever comes out of my mouth and uh, use it to impact us. God, I, I'm going to be, we're addressing here one of the most magnificent, mysterious truths imaginable, and we're part of it. And I pray, God, that, that the mystery and the beauty of the incarnation um, and what it means for us and how we live would just grip us like never before. Some of us have this information, perhaps, but information doesn't do anything unless it produces reality, unless it, unless it translates into how we live moment by moment. And, and Holy Spirit, we have to just rely on you to do that. So be with us during this time. Anoint this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Somehow Jesus was able to convince a band of Jews against all of their cultural presuppositions that in his very being God was present. And one of the greatest mysteries of, of uh, history is if you don't accept the gospel account of Jesus as this miracle worker and this person who lives this exemplary life, what's very hard, if not impossible to do, is explain how Jesus managed to convince these Jews that he was divine. Because the most fundamental assumption of their culture was that no human being can be divine. And yet Jesus managed to convince them that he was that. If Jesus was the kind of person they say he was, we can begin to understand how they came to the conclusion that in Jesus Christ, God himself was present on earth. But if you don't believe the gospel of counts, then what is your explanation for how these Jews became convinced that he was God's presence on earth? The early Christians believed somehow, some way, that in the person of Jesus Christ, God had entered human history. He made our story his story and made his story of the triune God dancing throughout eternity, he made his story our story. This is what we call the incarnation. And what we saw last week was that that isn't just a nice once upon a time historical fact. It rather changes everything for all time. We saw last week how it changes God's relationship to us. The perichoresis of the three persons of the Trinity, the mutual indwelling perfection of love of the three persons of the Trinity is now extended towards us. And God now has this, if you will, incarnational stance towards us. And we saw in Hebrews 4 that, among other things, what that means is that he's a God that we can know understands us from the inside. We have a high priest who, it's not like a high priest who can't understand our infirmities and our weaknesses, but rather our high priest was in every respect made like we are, in every respect uh, uh, was tempted as we are, and on the cross endured in every respect what we endure. So he understands us from the inside, and that's got to just boost our confidence in, in going before him. That's why in the book of Hebrews it says, so we go boldly before the throne of grace with total confidence, knowing that he understands us even in our worst areas from the inside. The book of Hebrews says that he, he sympathizes with us. And we examined that word last week. The word sim means together, and pathos means passion or emotion. So to sim pathos is, or sympathy is to have emotions with another person, to, have the, to, to feel what they feel, uh, to suffer what they suffer. And that's, that's what God does with us. He takes his heart and puts it alongside of our heart. And he does life from the inside with us. He knows what we feel, knows what we're going through, knows our weaknesses, even knows us in our guilt, even knows us in our rebellion, even knows us in our shortcoming. And uh, that's got to increase our confidence in, in our, our, our going to him and, and not being afraid of him when we fall, but rather being open and honest with him, as we said last week. To begin to have a relationship with him, the same relationship with him that he has with himself, perichoresis, where nothing is hidden, nothing is concealed, it's all out in the open. Even the stuff that we don't yet want to let go of. Just start getting honest with God. Start getting honest with God. Now, the, the early Christians even took it further than that. And that's what I want to talk about here this morning. Uh, in their view, the mystery of the incarnation, while it's true that, that God was only incarnate once, he only united himself uh, in, a, in an identity way once in history, and that was in the person of Jesus Christ. Yet the early Christians came to believe under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit that, that 
somehow we also participate in that incarnation. Uh, it has an impact not only in how God relates to us, but in how God relates to the world through us. It's an incredible thing. In some mystical way, we are really part of the, of, of, of the body of Christ and, and are, as it were, a sort of second incarnation. Now, I, I'll just kind of talk around that a little bit and, and flesh it out. The place to start would be 1 Corinthians 6. Now, Paul's talking to this congregation that is way messed up. If you think messed up churches are a modern invention, uh, you're wrong. Uh, the, ch- the church has been messed up from the start, okay? So uh, if, if you're a messed up church, you're pretty normal. Um, and uh, th- this church had just some nasty stuff going on. I mean, people would get together in their homes, as they always did, to have communion with their uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. But some would bring the wine and, and wouldn't share it, and then they'd get drunk during communion. That's just not, not, not the most liturgical thing you could do. Uh, and what Paul's mad at is that they're not sharing their wine, which, by the way, shows that they were drinking real wine, but that's a different issue. Now, um, but then they also had other stuff going on. They had one of the leaders of their church, one of their leaders of the church was uh, shacking up with his mother-in-law, uh, or, no, no, his, uh, his stepmother. That's what it was. And, um, and that, when I say shacking up, you know what I mean. Uh, and, uh, and that was bad enough, but he was bragging about it, and the church was kind of bragging about it. Like, we're so into grace that we even let that go on. So Paul has to really kind of get down on them. Well, they also had people who were visiting prostitutes, and not to witness to them. Uh, they were going to brothel houses. And, and Paul's not surprised that pagans do that. That's the kind of thing that, you know, characterizes the world. So he's not mad at the pagans for doing that. But they, these pagans become Christians, and they're still doing that. And so Paul's kind of going, hello, I, I, I have a word from the Lord for you. And so he's trying to encourage them to stop doing that. And here's what he says. It's just profound stuff comes out of his mouth. He's talking to these people who have been sleeping with prostitutes. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, that's God's own spirit, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. I think this is a good word for us because our culture is quite a bit like the Corinthian culture, which just uh, it was very loose sexually. And what Paul is saying is, is honor God by your sexual activity. Uh, you got to realize you, don't, you no longer own your own body. If you are a kingdom person, you're possessed. But not possessed of the devil. You're possessed by God, and you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so follow the Holy Spirit and, 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 how, and what you do with your body. And, and, and for people in this auditorium who are maybe a little bit loose in that area, and you sleep around and go too far, just hear that word. It, 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 Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's an awesome, wonderful thing. God himself resides in you. That's a fantastic thing if you think about it. And when Paul says the word temple, he's a Jew and he's thinking of the temple in the Old Testament. And that temple in the Old Testament was a marvelous, incredible thing where the Shekinah glory came down. And and it was the the habitation of the Lord in the Old Testament. And Paul is now saying, you are that. And it didn't come cheap. No, the the Lord, you were bought with a price. He paid an unsurpassable price for you because you were worth it. And that makes you very, very precious. And that makes you a walking, talking mystery of the Shekinah glory. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So glorify God with your body and all that you do. Your body, don't cheapen your body. Don't cheapen your body. 
And that's what we do when we go to prostitutes and, and, and when we live out our sexuality in ways that are against God's will, we're cheapening ourselves. And Paul is, is, is not saying abstain from that to make yourself more precious. He's saying you are precious, so abstain from that stuff. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible teaching. You are a walking, talking temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself resides within you. He's, he addresses the same topic from a little different direction in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Another one of the problems that the Corinthians were having was that uh, they were kind of competing with one another in terms of the spiritual gifts, getting together in their house churches, and everyone was speaking in tongues at the same time, and the people who spoke in tongues thought they were better than the people who had other gifts, and, and it was just a messed up thing. So Paul's trying to bring some sanity to the use of the gifts of the Spirit. And he says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now I want us to see here, he's talking about Christ. In the same way that your body has a lot of different parts, but it's all one body, and so they all have to work together, so it is with Christ. So he's talking about Christ now, and yet he's going to talk about us. He says, For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, doesn't make any difference, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Now, this is an incredible thing. Uh, and and if, if you've heard this before, try to pretend like you haven't so you get the full force of it. Paul uses here language that is close to the same language that's used about the Word being made flesh. We are the body of Christ. Individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in, in, individually, we are the body of Christ. But also, collectively, we are the body of Christ. And he's not talking poetry here. He's talking about Christ. Christ has a body. Christ is still enfleshed in the world. And it looks like you, and it looks like me. It looks like us. The church is, as it were, a sort of second incarnation. It's sort of like a... In fact, I, I, don't, I don't want to even say sort of, because Paul's talking real reality here. It is a giant Jesus. At least it's supposed to be a giant Jesus. When we align ourselves with the body of Christ by becoming kingdom people, and note here, Paul never considered the possibility of being a kingdom person and not being associated with the body of Christ. You, you, that, that would make you a dismembered part of the body. You see, so Paul's understanding, in fact, it's, it's the, entire, the, the understanding of the entire New Testament, is that to be a Christian is to be aligned with, with the body of Christ, some local expression of the body of Christ, where you're working together as a body. And what he's saying there is that when we do that, we participate in some mysterious way in the ongoing reality of the incarnation. We're not God incarnate, but in some way that the Bible never quite fleshes out. It's a mystery, but in some way there's this mystical union with Christ. We participate in the reality of the incarnation, which means this. And this is wonderful, and it's also awesome. It's, it's an it's a honor, and it's also a responsibility. It means we put God on display. Individually, we are God's walking display. And collectively, we are God's walking display. In a manner that is an echo of the way Jesus was a walking display of the Father. It means our attitude has got to be something like the attitude of Jesus when he said, if you see me, you see the Father. 
We are his body, and we put God on display in the same way that our body puts us on display. The only way you know me at all is through my body. You can't know a disembodied Greg Boyd. The Greg Boyd you know, if you know me at all, is the one that's in my body, uh, the one that is through my body. I, right now, am manifesting me through the use of my body. My, 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 my mouth is talking. <laughs> Uh, and, and it wouldn't do any good, as some Christians try to do with Jesus, uh, it wouldn't do any good for, for, for me to separate my body from me. As we do when we say, well, you know, Jesus is perfect and Jesus is loving, but even though I'm judgmental and mean-spirited, but try not to look at me, look at Jesus. Well, the only Jesus they know is you. I mean, it's the only Jesus. That, you're his body. What would happen if I were to go and, and, and hit this guy? What is your name? Patrick, what if I was to, right now, come down off of the auditorium and just all of a sudden give Patrick a kick in the face and slug him in the mouth? And Patrick would go, man, you are mean. You're a mean preacher. And I said, well, that's what I do when people fall asleep on me. And, uh, <laughs> well, are you up to three in the morning, dude? What's your problem? No. No, see, it wouldn't, do, it wouldn't do any good if I said, oh, no, 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 no. You see, I'm a very loving person. But my body, my body is mean, but I'm really loving. No one's going to buy that, you know, because this is my body. I, I manifest who I am in my body in just the same way. By God's own design, we manifest God by our body, by our being individually, and by our corporate identity. We put God on display. We are by God's own design. I've sometimes wondered if, you know, he, I, I have sometimes wondered in my own life individually and with the church as a whole, you know, Lord, was that really a good decision? <laughs> but, you know, he's boss, so I, I got to go with it. Um, but, but it really is the case that the world is supposed to know what God is like by looking at you. If you see me, you see the Father. What, what's God like? Well, just watch me a little bit. Now, we're not God. We're not God incarnate, but we participate in that reality of God being enfleshed in the world. And our life is to be an answer to the question, what is God like? Show us the Father. And our main job in life is to live in a way where out of the relationship that we have with him, he's transforming us and we're showing, we're showing people the Father. Think about that. You show your neighbors, you show your kids, you show your spouse, you show your coworkers. Uh, what, 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 you, are, you are the answer to the question, what is God like? Your character is the body of God. Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul brings it out even a little further. He says, we are ambassadors, presbuo, for Christ. We're the representatives of Christ. Uh, we, we are the delegates of Christ. We represent Christ. Since, here's why, God is making his appeal to the world through us. This is how God is appealing to the world. It's supposed to be attractive People in seeing you and seeing us are to be attracted to the God that we represent. The love that is displayed in us, the kindness, the mercy, the consideration, the attention that is displayed in us is, is, is the means by which, by God's own design, people are to be drawn into the kingdom. Uh, God's making his appeal to the world through us. We represent God. We are his body. We are his temple. We are his ambassadors. It's not just that Paul is saying, it's as if we were his body. Act as if you were his body. Act as though you were a temple. As though he's talking about poetry. 
Paul's talking about reality. He's speaking, for those of you who like these kind of words, ontologically. He's speaking not just epistemologically. He's speaking metaphysically. He's speaking about the way reality actually is. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. We are Christ's ambassadors. We really are, in some mysterious way, an extension of the incarnation. We're not God incarnate, but we participate in the reality and the beautiful mystery of that. Insofar as we yield to it, insofar as we put God on display, insofar as our thoughts and our emotions, and especially to the world, our actions, answer the question, what is God like? What is God like? What it means is this. God is still in the business of enfleshing himself in the world. He deals with a physical world through physical means. He's still in the business of enfleshing the world, enfleshing himself in the world. And when he does, it looks a whole lot like you and a whole lot like me and a whole lot like us. God's still in the business of making an appeal to the world. And it looks like you and it looks like me and it looks like us. God's still in the body, still in the business of showing up in the world. And when he does, it looks like you and it looks like me. And it looks like us, the body of Christ. God's still in the business of calling people to see the Father in the body of his Son. And we just read that we are now the body of the Son. It looks like you, it looks like me, it looks like us. The reality of the incarnation is still pulsating in the world. And you and I and us, we are that heartbeat, that pulsating incarnational heartbeat. God is still loving people He's still in the business of loving people concretely through concrete acts of service. And when he does, it looks like you. It looks like me and it looks like us. God's still in the business of physically meeting people's needs, of healing people, of caring for the poor. And when he does, it looks like you, it looks like me, it looks like us. People often say this. Christians even say this. Why doesn't God do something? Where's God when you need him? Why doesn't he come down like he did with Jesus and, and, and take on a physical form and, uh, and do something about the problems of this world? And what God is saying to us this morning is, I'm trying to. And you are it. That's what you're there for. You're my body. And, and, and to ask God, why don't you do something uh, is, is really like my body asking me, why don't you do something about that person over there who's lonely who could really use a hug? I, my, my response to my body would be, if I talked to my body like this, it would be, well, the only hug I got is you. <laughs> the only arms I got are you. And so if I'm going to do anything, I need your cooperation on this. Uh, you know, if, it's like, sometimes I think of, of the church as, as almost like a paraplegic body of Christ or, or a paralyzed body of Christ where, you know, God's going, come on, go over there. And, and the body is just like, you know, why don't you do something? And, and God's going, come on, go over there. And, and, and the, you know, we're saying, God, do something, do something. Because, well, you're my arms, you're my feet, you're my mouth. You know, I'm trying. We're called to be the enfleshment of God in this world. God, why don't you relieve poverty? Well, God's saying, you're there, uh, and I'm working through you. That's how I, I want to do it. God, why don't you meet people's needs? Well, that's what you're there for. You're my body. You do it, and I'll be doing it through you. Why don't you do something about racial oppression and the racial tension in, in the culture? Hello, you're my body. I, you know, I, 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 that's what you're there for. You're my enfleshment in this world. Why don't you meet people's needs and, and heal broken homes and... and, 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 and Comfort the lonely and, and feed the hungry. And the Lord is saying, I only got one body. And it looks like you. And it looks like me. 
and it looks like us. It's an awesome honor, but awesome, awesome responsibility. We are God's body on earth. We answer the question, what is God like? Just like our body answers the question, what are we like? The only, the only God that people know is the one they see in the church. Our attitude, therefore, has got to be, if you see me, you see the Father. Now, the most important thing about God that we put on display, because it's the most important thing about God and his relationship with history, is that he's a God of love. But he's a God of love, not just in an abstract way, but in a concrete way, in an enfleshing way, in an incarnational way. And so the most important thing for us to put on display is that God is a God who becomes incarnate. God is a God who makes our story his story and his story our story. God is a God who doesn't just pontificate with nice truths. He's a God who does stuff. He's a God who's willing to be bothered with us. And not just in an inconvenient way, but in a passionate way. He takes what is ours and makes it his own. That's the most important thing that that we are to put on display about God. And the way we do it is by doing what God does. That's why Paul says, be imitators of God. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Live in love. Imitate God. Mimic God. And what that means is you, you love others as Christ has loved you. The center of our call is to be incarnational. To be incarnational. To, in our own little ways, individually and collectively, do what God did. He incarnated himself. That word is just the word for in flesh. Carne is the word for flesh. Like if you're a carnivore, uh, that means you eat flesh, you eat meat. Uh, Well, incarnate, incarnation is the word that means his enfleshment, where he became a human being. That's stooping down to enter into our story. That's what we're called to be. We are incarnational in our own ways. And I could summarize what that means for us in this way. It means to be present in love without judgment. To be present in love without judgment. To be there. To show up and really be there. To be there in the now. To be there in love. And to be there without judgment. God didn't stand over us as a condemning judge. He could have done this, but he didn't do this. He could have said, hey, my story is a holy story. Your story is a sinful story. So to hell with you. I mean that literally. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he said judgment aside and dove into our story, bearing our burdens, bearing our, our, our sin. He dove into our story, made our story, our miserable story, his story. And by that means, he loved us into wholeness. Go thou and do likewise. We are to set judgment aside and dive into others' stories and taking on their pain, which they may very well have caused themselves. But see, we caused our own pain, and yet he took it on himself. So also, the person maybe has done some really nasty, mean stuff that's caused the pain, but our job is not to stand over and judge that. That's what humans always do. That's eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our job is to suspend that and just enter into the neediness of the person, take their story on ourselves, bear their burden. Something sacred happens when we do that. When we do that in big ways and in little ways on a moment-by-moment basis, something holy, the most profound thing in the universe is going on when we do that. Because when we do that, we are, we are pulsating with the incarnation, which is the center of the cosmos. It's the center of history, and we are participating in it. 
this hand that I'm going like this with, this is that pulsating heart of the incarnation. Some of you are saying, gosh, he's got a weird spasm going on there. No, it's my hand. It's, it's that boom, boom. The, the, the incarnation is pulsating. And every time we get out of ourselves to enter into the story of another, every time we deny ourselves, that flesh self, and, and replicate in, how, in, in however an, an appropriate fashion, big or little, insofar as we do that, we're participating in that pulse. We're, we're expanding the incarnation. The mystery of the incarnation is alive and well, and it looks like you. Talking to this person, ministering to this person, not living out of your self-centeredness, but living in love as Christ has loved you. We're participating in the central mystery of the cosmos, which is life itself. This is the center of life because this is what God is like. We're putting God on display. This is, this is what God is like. You see me, you see the Father. This is what the Father does. Now, we can't be incarnational to everybody around the world, obviously. But if we're open to it, if we're open to it, God leads us to the people that we're supposed to be incarnational with, doing in, in whatever fashion what God has done towards us. Uh, and if we're open to it, you'll find little opportunities all around you every single day, and you'll on occasion find big opportunities. You're checking out your groceries at the grocery store. A thousand people will do that today and not notice that grocery clerk. Uh, a thousand people will just uh, see her as a useful means to an end, will not look into her eyes, will just say customaries, hi, how are you, and go on. But see, God doesn't do that with us. In fact, some of those thousand will judge her. They'll be making assessments about what she's like or is she competent or this, that, or the other thing. But, but, but God doesn't do that with us, so we're not to do that with her. Be present in love without judgment. Be present. Be there. You're checking out groceries. No, there's a human being here for whom Jesus died who's infinitely precious. And you don't need to know a thing about her. You probably don't know a thing about her, but you do know this. You can be incarnational towards her. To be there to look into her eye, to say, hi, how are you? To, to, to say a blessing over her, to, to do to her what Jesus did to you. Now, you can't, you know, right there in the store, die for her, but in, in, the, in the three minutes you've got, you can be there for those three minutes. And sometimes the little words we say and the little blessings we pray in our heart and the eye contact that is, the, uh, eye contact that is there, God, whenever we replicate Calvary, God shows up. He blesses it. And we don't always see the ramifications of this, but they're always there. Her life will be a little bit better, a little more in a kingdom direction because of that little three-minute encounter. I don't believe there's any such thing as a trivial encounter. Not if you're a kingdom person. Not if you're present in love without judgment. If If you're just walking in kingdom awareness, everything's an opportunity. Uh, because you can be present right now, you can be in love right now, you can suspend judgment right now, and just affirm worth, ascribe worth. And in that way, you're dying to your self-interest, and you're participating in the central mystery of the cosmos. I just feel like talking metaphysics a lot today. Uh, the phenomenological entities of the cosmic uh, you know, realities, we are participating in the center of that. You're, you're in this moment pulsing with the pulse of the incarnation. And in that little way, you're putting God on display. Sometimes you'll find big opportunities that require more investment. And this is why you can't do it with everybody, uh, but, but uh, as God leads you, you do it with some people. Where your neighbor, for example, your neighbor, uh, her husband walked out on her. And um, everybody else on the block knows why, and you know why. 
And they're all talking to themselves and thinking to themselves, well, you know, she slept around and didn't keep it very secret. And she drank a lot and she was such a nag. And he was such a nice guy. And, and it's just a shame what she did. And she, you know, she, she kind of, you make your bed and you lay in it. And so the, of course, finally the guy, guy left. See, everyone's thinking that, and that's just what normal fallen human beings do when we eat of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And however miserable and sinful our lives are, at least we can feel a little bit better because we're not as bad as that lady is. But will somebody do something different? None of that's going to help this lady at all. You know, maybe she did, you know, deserve what happened to her. But God didn't give us what we deserved. Don't give her what you think she deserves, especially because you're not God. Will somebody suspend judgment? Will somebody be present to her in love without judgment? See, this is the, this is the most distinctive thing that the kingdom, that kingdom people are, are to do. To not fall into that normal robotic uh, flesh fallen trap of, of judging, you see, we, we, you know, part of why we judge is because we feel good about the contrast. And part of why we judge is because it's a nice, convenient excuse so you don't have to get involved. My story is a holy story. My, my marriage is a good marriage. You know, I, I never did that. And, and, and she did. And so you, lucky me, I don't have to ever suffer with her. I don't have to, I don't have to bother with her. You see, we judge because it's a nice, convenient way of distancing ourselves. But God didn't do that with us. And so we are not to do that with others. In fact, when we don't do that with others, now you see, when, when, we, when we have sympathy with others, when we put our heart next to others, uh, as God did it to us, we do it to them, and that's how God does it to them. You are his body. When, when, when we care about uh, the hungry, uh, because God cared about us, that's God's way of caring for the hungry. You see, it, it, it's bigger than, than you. It, it, there's a God thing going on whenever we do this stuff. And so will somebody, will somebody this is a human being for whom Jesus died. And, and uh, you are a sinner as much as she is, and God has nonetheless taken on your story and made it part of his story to love you into wholeness. Will you do the same with her? She needs somebody to listen to, to, listen to her problems, and maybe she's really irritating, and maybe she's got a lot of other things, but you know what? From a divine perspective, I'm pretty irritating, and yet God still hangs around with me. He's still listening. He's still working in my life. And so we're called to suspend the judgment and be there and have coffee with the person and let them go on. And it doesn't mean we condone what happened. Of course not. We don't condone what we do a lot of the time, but to be there in love, to be present in love without judgment, to listen to her story. And you see, here's how the kingdom grows. Whenever you just judge another person as a way of excusing yourself and feeling good about yourself in contrast to them and not having to get involved with them, whenever you do that, it doesn't help them one bit. In fact, it usually locks people more into the problem. All the whispering of the town will only lock her. It's not going to lead her to repent and change. She's more locked in to her life than she was before. Judgment is so demonic because it does it. It locks people in. But when you, when you come under a person and you be incarnational to them, you, you enter into her pain without, without excusing yourself by saying, well, you know, she deserved it. She did see it. No, no, you know what? For whatever reason, she's in a whole lot of pain right now. And if you just enter into that pain and, and, and sympathize, put your heart next to her heart, and, and listen to her talk, 
It may happen that you'll find out why she drinks so much and why she's such a nag and why she slips around. You might, she might share with you part of her story, which doesn't excuse her behavior, but it makes it kind of more understandable. And now you may have a chance to minister to her. And, and in seeing your love and in feeling the impact of that pulsating incarnation that started 2,000 years ago, that's the one hope she's got to ever grow to be a different kind of person. And it may happen that, you know, her marriage is now gone. That, that may be the case. But God's not done with her. God will take this tragedy and now use it to teach her and grow her. And you just might find that as you do that, she teaches you a few things and she helps grows you. It's not like you're over here in the holy plane ministering her down here in the sin plane. No, we're all sinners. And so God uses each of us to grow one another. But it only happens when we make the commitment to be present in love without judgment. And we can do that in a million small ways every day. We can do that Sometimes as God leads in major ways, he'll lead us to the people that we're supposed to be incarnational to. And we do this as a corporate body. This is why we come together. I mean, we come to worship the Lord and to get some teaching, but we pool our resources together. Love always bleeds. Love is defined by Calvary. It always bleeds. There's always sacrifice. And so we come together, we sacrifice of our resources. We sacrifice of our time. We sacrifice of, of our energy and our talents in order so that we can be the giant Jesus God called us to be. We replicate Calvary uh, as God leads to various people at various times. That's what we're here for. We can do more together as a giant Jesus than we can do individually, which is why the Bible never even considers the possibility of a dismembered body of Christ, a person who's disassociated from some local body. So, for example, just to give a few examples, we, we felt called this last year— um, uh, to, to model what God is like towards Ames Elementary School. It wasn't a major cosmic thing, but it was a very important thing because there are no trivial things, not if you're a kingdom person. And here's a school that's, that's being run down because there's not enough government funding for it. And there's a lot of people who would say, well, that's government's problem or, or that's an inner city problem. That's their story. It's not my story. And maybe even blame them. Well, you know that they would take care of it better. And then we live in judgment, which is a nice convenient way of saying, I don't have to pay attention to this. But someone's called in the kingdom to do a different thing. And, and we felt so called. And so it's just a matter of us saying, how can we be present in love, bleeding in love for them? And uh, so we get together and we say, let's, let's fix up this school. And God always blesses that. This is, what, this is what God lives for. This is what God's about. The little sacrifice is the big sacrifice. So God blesses it. And now he makes a, an appeal to the world through it. This is how he appeals to the world. He makes it attractive. So all of a sudden we find all these people saying, hey, I want to be part of that. I, here, I'll donate this. I'll donate that. I'll Here's some food. Here's some cement. Here's some shovels. Here's some dirt. Here's some trees. And everyone's getting involved in this. See, that's how the mustard seed grows. The, the, the incarnation is pulsating throughout that whole thing. That's what we do together. 5,000 Hmong people are coming to the Twin Cities. And so... You know, it'd be easy to, for people to say, and a lot of people would say, well, that's their story, that's not my story. That's their problem, that, those aren't my problems. Uh, you know, in fact, some now would, would say they are the problem. There's a growing, and it concerns me a lot, a growing uh, uh, prejudice towards the Hmong, uh, especially in the light of this, this hunting tragedy that happened a while back. And so that, night, that judgment would allow people to say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I can have my seven coats even though they don't have any. But somebody's got to do something different, and that's what the kingdom is called to be. Where, where we ask the question, uh, what does it look like to see us to, is to see the Father? What does that look like towards Hmong people coming into the Twin Cities? And here's one little way it looks like. It looks like 
they don't have enough uh, coats, and we have more coats than we need, so let's give them some coats. And so we start talking that around, and we just start saying, uh, uh, we want to model what God is like to these, these Hmong folks and, uh, and, and serve them and be present to them and care about them and make, to whatever degree is appropriate, their story, our story, and, and to take them on. And, and so we start talking that around. And again, God shows up. This is, this is the pulse of the cosmos. This is the incarnational reality. And we get to participating in it. So God blesses it. And, and then people, man, people start from outside the church. It gets out of the news. And, and the, the, the thing starts to grow. And before you know it, we've got 20,000 square feet of clothes, more than we can possibly give away. Uh, you know, th- that's how the kingdom works. When we come together in little ways and in big ways, and we say, how do we be present towards these people in love without judgment? We have a burden for the youth uh, of this area. God's called us to be incarnational to the youth. Thousands of kids in this area have have uh, inadequate supervision. Thousands of kids have inadequate help for their schooling. Uh, Thousands of kids have no good, healthy place to hang out after school and to hang out on the weekends. So thousands of these kids are getting into trouble. Uh, You know, there's, there's, uh, they struggle with crime, and they struggle with drugs, and they struggle with sexually transmitted disease, and they struggle with unwanted pregnancies, and, and all sorts of other kinds of stuff. And it'd be easy to say, well, that's the parents' fault. You know, if they wouldn't get divorced or if they'd work hard and get out of poverty, they wouldn't have these problems. That's really convenient because now I don't have to think about it anymore. Or it's government's problem. Yeah, it's government's problem. You know, if we would have voted the right candidate in the office, then they would have fixed it. But no, no, you had to vote for that guy, you know. It's somebody's problem, but it's not my problem. And then we can go on with our own little stories. But see, for kingdom people, there is no isolation of stories. God didn't do that to us, so we don't do it to others. And their problem is our problem. Their story is our story. And so we want to be present without judgment in love. And what does that look like? What does it look like to model what God has taught to us? Uh, what does it look like to model that to them? Uh, th- that's the question we ask. And here's one way it looks. It means uh, this is what we do with, with phase one. Phase one's there, and now we want to begin to build relationships to the kids in the area so they can stop by after school. And we can help them with some schooling. We can provide a context where, where we're just there for them. No hard sell evangelism kind of thing. We just want to be present for them in love. And, and our ultimate goal, as most of you know, is to, to build this 50,000 square foot or 60,000 square foot youth center for the youth of the Twin Cities. So they have a place on the weekends to come and hang out. And they have a place to hang out after school. And we're just there saying, how can we help you? How can we serve you? Uh, you know, y- y- your, your crime issue is our issue. Your unwanted pregnancy uh, issue is our issue. Your, your, uh, your, your, your drug problem is our problem. Your parent problem is our problem. Your gang problem is our problem. We want your problems. Because that's what God does with us, and we're modeling God to you. And it's an honor to do so. And as we're doing that to them, amen. And see, as we're doing, as we're doing that to them, God is doing it to them. Because we're the only body that God has in this world. Individually and collectively, God is ministering to them as we're ministering to them. Because we are the body of Christ. So I just close with this word. Be incarnational. Be incarnational. Be present. And your life is nothing but a series of nows. So the time to be present is now. Be present in love without judgment. And now you're participating in that abundant life, that pulsating incarnation. When you live outside of yourself, you begin to move into the joy that Jesus talks about, the peace that Jesus talks about. The less centered you are on yourself, the more alive you are. You see, because you're participating in the one who is life. God is the God who gives away, who's just outrageously generous. 
so we are called to be. Be present in love without judgment. I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to say that if you're here and have any need uh, that you would like to have prayed for, we'll have a prayer team up front here after we're dismissed. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and become part of this kingdom, we would love the opportunity to, to, to uh, pray with you and uh, talk with you about what, what's involved in that. So if you would come up to my right, your left, there'll be a person up here at this table who has some literature that they just love to give to you and, uh, and, and explain to you how easy it is to become part of this growing, beautiful kingdom, uh, that the central thing that God is doing in creation. Can we stand? I want to close in prayer. Father, as we go out of here, I pray, Lord God, that we would be outrageously incarnational out in the gathering area to one another. Lord God, move us out of our self-interest and self-comfort zones to meet new people. Let us start here, Lord God. I pray that no person would be able to leave without someone meeting them. And Father, that as we go out into the streets and into our homes and into the workplace, Lord, help us to stay present, to make eye contact, to, to at least in our own heart, have that grocery clerk or that street sweeper matter to us because they matter to you and we matter to you and so we are their way of them knowing that they matter to you. So Father, uh, uh, help us to walk in the awareness that we are your body. Individually, we're your temple. Collectively, we're your body, Lord God. And may, Lord, we walk with the, answering the question, what is the Father like? To every person we meet, what is God like? Right here and right now. Bug us, Holy Spirit, to help us never forget this. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. God bless you guys. See you next year.